What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're you two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Monday, November 28th. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody that didn't listen to our last episode. Happy late Thanksgiving, I guess, because now it's it's Christmas season now, technically, which means you already know you're going to hear some Christmas transitions. Well, you already heard some Christmas transitions last episode because I kind of cheated a little bit and took the opportunity of recording the, the night before Thanksgiving as an opportunity to put Christmas transitions in that episode because most people were going to be listening to it on Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving anyway. So that's uh, that's that's how it's going to be in this episode until Christmas. So you guys are going to be hearing a lot of uh, I think it's I think it's the tune of Jingle. I yeah, it's it's definitely wait no maybe it's not Jingle. I th- I think it's Jingle Bells is the tune of the transition, but it's in like a different. It's actually Deck the Halls. Um, it's Deck the Halls. If you would yeah, just right. listen to it really quickly. That would that would make sense for you, Hayden. Yeah. Well, I listen to it when I'm editing, and then I forget everything after that because my mind just goes blank. But Yes, today on tap, we've got college football first. We decided we actually just made this change literally like a minute before we started recording to talk about college football first because there's, well, it's a very important, very important week slash coming weekend in college football. And there was a lot of coaching moves as well, which which we're going to be getting into after we talk about the college football playoff. Because like I said in, well, like I said, a couple episodes ago, we are not going to stop talking about the college football playoff until it happens. So there you go. And then we've got NFL after our college football coaching talk. We've got two topics for that. And then we've got a little holiday segment at the, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a holiday segment. It's also just reviewing Thanksgiving. I think it's only right to do so because it's only right to include holiday segments in the rest of our episodes from now until probably new year's. So I mean, I'm a huge holiday guy. You guys know that by now, if you've been listening, Matt knows that it's my favorite time of the year right now. So I'm uh, well, I do have a lot of, I, I do have a lot of schoolwork right now. So it's, it's kind of tough to balance out the time that I put into cr- listening to Christmas music with doing French essays, but that's besides the point. Matt is on the other end here. He looks like he's kind of getting into something. Matt, what are you getting into? Well, I was, I was, essentially just waiting for you to stop anecdoting about yourself again, because that's what the intro and the outro always turn into. So yes, as much as our fans, I'm sure love to hear about your French essays and how much you love Christmas music. It's also a sports podcast. So uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was doing some sports stuff just so you were wondering. Okay. Well, I mean, we can get into some sports stuff right now. If you don't have anything else to anything else to share, like I did. No, go ahead, because I I don't want to I don't want to take the up the first ten minutes talking about things that nobody cares about. So go ahead. All right. Well, in that case, we're gonna move into college football. So this past weekend was the last week of the regular season in college football, and we had some major losses by potential college football playoff candidates: Clemson, LSU, Oregon are all out of it. And Ohio state also lost against Michigan and they are most likely, I don't know. I don't, there might be a scenario where they can get in and we probably will go over that, but yes, Ohio state was also not really supposed to lose to Michigan in Columbus. And they, they ended up doing so in dramatic fashion because they lost by like 22, 23 points. So meanwhile, TCU and USC were the favorites to make the top four going into last week. And both of them won their 
respective games to further solidify their arguments to get into the college football playoff. Obviously, the top four teams will all be favored in their conference championships coming up this weekend. And this sets up for a very simple final four, you would think. But as we saw this past weekend, it probably it might not end up that way. And there's a pretty good chance that it won't end up that way. We're going to be going over scenarios like we always do. And we're just going to be talking about if which teams lose, which teams will make it in. You know, what's what's going to happen with all this? And I'm going to let Matt dive into it first and just take it away with, I don't know, one of your one of your predictions about if TCU or USC loses or whatever. Well, I think at first we're going to have to consider, all right, so Georgia is going to be number one, Michigan's going to be number two, or it might even be switched around. Michigan might take number one. And I think they have a pretty good argument for that. As much as I and we both have, have kind of not really loved Michigan over the past few years, they have done it, right? Especially last year and this year, they've just beaten all of the teams on their schedule. They've won the Big Ten championship. Well, they did last year and they probably will again this year. And they made it to the college football playoff. And especially this year, after losing a lot of talent to the draft last year, as well as losing, I think, both their offensive and defensive coordinators, they just come back and do it again, right? And so Michigan actually has two double two 20-point wins over top 10 teams, uh, being obviously Ohio State this past week, but then also Penn State, I guess almost a month ago at this point. Penn State is 10 and 2. Their only two losses are to Ohio State and Michigan, and they're a really good team. Michigan beat Ohio State by 22 points. They beat Penn State, I think, by 23 points. And Georgia, you know, they've been dominant, but they've also, they haven't really had the quality wins that Michigan has had. So that's all to say, and again, that's kind of just, you know, projecting here. Michigan could be number one in the, in the standings, but they might not be. Either way, it's going to be Georgia 1, Michigan 2, regardless of, or sorry, some combination of those two teams as the top two teams in the college football playoff. The question is, will either of them lose? Okay. So Georgia is playing LSU in the college, in the SEC championship and Michigan is playing Purdue in the big 10 championship. I don't think either one of them will lose, but the point of the topic here is to talk about if one of them do loses, if one of them does lose, if one of them do suffer a loss, if there's losses that have that will occur between the two of the teams. One, if one of them do Laos, do not this win, do not this, win this um, week. Yes. So if that, if if any of those forty-seven scenarios that we just laid out and ways to say that they lose does happen, the question becomes: Will one of them be able to be knocked out? And the answer is, I don't think so. All right, because. Clearly, they have been the two most dominant teams all year long. They've won all the games that are on their plate. And at the end of the day, you know, if you go undefeated in the regular season, that's extremely hard to do. That's hard enough, right? Uh, and, and then theoretically, the, the conference championship, you're you know winning your conference is a very big deal. And the reason for that is because the other team that you're playing is the other best team in the conference. Now, for the SEC and the Big Ten, respectively, which, you know, Georgia and, and Michigan are both representing here they're both broken up into divisions. So technically the second best team in the SEC is Tennessee, but LSU is the top team from the SEC West. And that's why they're going to be facing Georgia. Similarly with the big 10, Michigan's the best team in the big 10. Ohio state is the second best team in the big 10. Penn state is the third best team in the big 10, but they're all in the big 10 East. Whereas you have in the big 10 West, basically a bunch of seven and five teams. So Purdue, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, I think, like they're all kind of around there. Uh, and that's why you have Purdue representing the Big Ten West and playing Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. 
but the thing is, these are still good teams and it's your conference championship. And so I think that having the best regular season record will trump, at least in this part, not winning your conference championship just because of how dominant these teams have been throughout the regular season. Okay. And because as we know, the SEC and the Big Ten are the two best conferences in college football, bar none. Okay. So if you go undefeated in your regular season in the two toughest conferences in football, and then you lose your conference championship being one of the basically hardest games to win in the entire country, then yeah, you should still deserve a spot and, and, you know, kind of be claimed as, as one of the top four teams in the country. So that's kind of my first part here on, on, on Georgia and Michigan. I think that regardless of whether or not they each win their games, even if I think even if they both lose, they still have a good enough argument to be in the top four. They might not be one or might not be two, but I think they'll still be in the top four. Hayden, if you don't think so, go ahead and tell me. If not, let's get into TCU and USC, who are the other two in the top four right now. No, I, I definitely agree with you. And I, I think that Georgia should be one basically no matter what. I think that Michigan kind of deserves to be two at this point just because they've been high in the rankings ever since the college football playoff rankings have been a thing since, you know, a few weeks ago. And I, I do want to stay on the topic of the Big Ten really quick before we move into TCU and USC. And that is because, like I said, Ohio State also lost. But they, I mean, if you if you look at their team, they're still one of the best teams in the country. They score some of the most points out of any team in the country. They have some really good, I mean, they, they beat Notre Dame early in the season, which wasn't really considered a good win earlier this season. But now Notre Dame's number 19 and... They they weren't really in the game at all against USC this past weekend, but that's USC. And so, you know, Ohio State, like their wins aren't that good because like we say, you know, they're in the they're in the Big Ten. They beat Penn State by a good, I think, 20 points ish. And right. Like like they have one of the best offenses in the whole country. But now just because they lost one game to Michigan and just because the Big Ten is so lopsided in terms of the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West being like totally unequal in terms of um, in terms of power rankings of or power index of, of teams in each of those divisions. I think it's a little bit unfair that Ohio state isn't even really going to get it considered at this point. Like we said, like they might still get in somehow, but it's, it's going to take a lot. And it's also like the college football playoff committee. They value conference championships a lot. Like Matt was saying, if you don't make it to your conference championship, you're almost, you're almost for sure out of it because they're going to take, most likely three conference champions and then one other team from one of the conferences that had their conference champion already inducted into the college football playoff. And then they're going to take kind of like that second best team from that conference, usually the SEC. We've seen it be the SEC in, in recent years. And so I don't know. I mean, do I think it's time for there to be two Big Ten teams in this playoff? Not really, but I still, I also do still, th- I mean, you guys are going to call me stupid for saying this, but I do still think that. Ohio State would have a better chance of beating a team like Georgia in the college football playoffs than Michigan would. I don't. Matt said it at the beginning of, of of his little of his little spiel there that both him and I are not high on Michigan. I'm still not high on Michigan, even though they somehow beat Ohio State with without Blake Corum for basically the whole game. I I don't know how that happened. I didn't watch the game. I was playing golf, but it's I, I don't know. I still think that Ohio State is a better overall team, has a better chance of knocking off a team like Georgia. But that just shows you, like, again, going by the rules of, of what the committee is going to do and what, what they will do and what they should do just to make it fair across the board, they're going to take Michigan and they're going to put them in the college football playoff because they're most likely going to go undefeated if they win this Big Ten championship. And that's how it was last year, and that's how it should be this year. 
it's unfortunate because, like I said, a team like Ohio State, I think, has a better chance of beating a team like Georgia, a real powerhouse like Georgia, or a real powerhouse like USC if they get if the if USC gets like the three and Michigan's going up against USC as, as the two three matchup in the first round. I think that Ohio State has a better chance, but it, that's just maybe that's just me being a biased offensive mind. I don't know. It's 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 hard to articulate i guess but um that's kind of what i wanted to say about the big 10 it, it sucks because realistically like if, if you've watched this whole season you would say ohio state deserves to be in over michigan any day but it's but michigan won the matchup and that's how it's going to be and that it's unfair sometimes but that's that's what i wanted to say about the big 10 but you can go into tcu and usc now matt yeah so that is kind of the next part of this right so t so the top four last week was georgia ohio state michigan tcu Ohio State loses, they're going to be out. They'll probably still be close, as Hayden mentioned. They have a good argument still. Um, but because they're out, USC and TCU both won their game, so they'll be in the top four. So it'll be some order of one or two, Georgia, Michigan, and then it'll be three TCU and four USC. As I, as Hayden mentioned in the kind of the, the intro to this topic, TCU and USC are both favored to win their conference championships. However, they're not going to be heavily favored, nearly as much heavily favored as Georgia and Michigan will. And actually, the lines have already come out. I think USC is favored by three over Utah. And then it's TCU minus two and a half against Kansas State. Now, I outlined in the previous podcast, I kind of went over how in the previous time that TCU played Kansas State, it was actually it was like, the, I think, last weekend in October. Kansas State got out to a lead of 28 to 10. Then their quarterback gets hurt. And I think their backup got hurt too. So their third string quarterbacks in there. TCU scores 28 straight points in the second half and they win the game by 10. But that was a little squirrely. All right. And obviously, we've seen since then, Kansas State's done nothing but win games. This is a really, really good Kansas State team. And obviously, we're kind of, you know, looking here at, at, at TCU, who's 12 and 0 in the regular season. It's going to be close with these two games. And on the other side, you have USC, who's representing the, representing the Pac 12 in this. The, the opponent they're playing in the Pac-12 championship is Utah, and that's because Oregon lost to Oregon State this past weekend. And guess who? So UCL, or, yeah, sorry, USC went 11 and one in the regular season. And guess who their one loss was? That was to Utah. So we have a couple. Both of these games actually are really good, and between or against opponents who basically gave the opposition their best shot. Uh, and I think that is very representative of how good, you know, all these teams are. And, and just the fact that, you know, here we are at the end of the season, it's all, it all comes down to this. But I think that that's the point is, you know, right. You see two TCU's 12 and 0 USC's 11 and one. Well, they're playing teams that are like, you know, nine and three and you know, whatever, it's not going to be that much of a competition. No, I think it's going to be actually some really good games. So the question becomes, okay, well, what if TCU or, and, or USC lose it? Do they have a good enough argument to still make it in if they don't win their conference championship. And obviously I just made the argument for Georgia and Michigan that I think, Hey, both of them will still be in. If either of them lose their conference championships, we have to remember Georgia and Michigan have been absolutely dominant throughout the regular season. And they play in the two toughest conferences in all of college football. You, you kind of partner that with the fact that, okay, the big 12 and the PAC 12 of which TCU and USC are representing respectively, they're not as good in terms of just overall quality you know, conferences in, in, you know, kind of the sport here. Right. So if either of them lose, they might not have as good of an argument as a Michigan or a Georgia in terms of, okay, well, they'll automatically be in regardless. And also they haven't been as dominant throughout the rest of their college. Well, throughout the rest of their, you know, regular season schedule. TCU's had a, had a bunch of close calls 
All right. And then USC, they've blown out their opponents for the most part. But, you know, they had a three point win, a narrow three point win over UCLA. They didn't even play Oregon. Right. So they kind of got off easy there because Oregon's basically a top 10 team as well. So we kind of have to think here if TCU or and or USC lose, like, are they going to make it still? I don't I don't really know. Right. But the problem is we kind of have to decide it here. So I think that if TCU loses to Kansas State, I think I think they still have an argument to be in. And that is simply because we saw LSU lose this past weekend. We saw Clemson lose this past weekend. And who was the other team that Hayden said at the beginning of this that I'm trying to search for? Now? Oregon. Oregon, obviously, also lost. So, well, I mean, they're not even competing in the, in the conference championship at this point. But the other two teams that had the best argument to be in that were kind of on the outside looking in going into this weekend were LSU and Clemson. And both of them lost. Now, obviously, LSU is going to be, still be playing in the SEC championship. And even if they win that game, they'll be 10 and three. They're going to be a three loss SEC champion. And the college football playoff committee has said in every other year that they've been doing this, they're not, they, they, they're not going to let you have to win the games that are on your schedule. Okay. And so they're not going to let, they actually haven't even let in a two loss team yet, much less a three loss team. So LSU is completely out of this. All right. And so is Clemson because now they have two losses and they could very well lose to UNC in the, in the SEC championship. And so it wouldn't even really matter. So I think that now that we have both of those teams losing, who's kind of the, the, the wild card team here. And it's exactly what Hayden mentioned right in that, that, that last part when he was talking about the big 10, it's Ohio state. Okay, so essentially what we have here is if we're looking at TCU, we're looking at USC and we're looking at either one or both of them losing the team that we're going to be end up stacking up their resumes against is going to be Ohio State. And the problem is, well, not the problem, but just kind of the, the, the question to consider here is that Ohio State has a really, really good resume, okay? I think they had the number one points differential in the entire country coming into this game. I think they were second in the entire sport in like points per game, all this stuff. Ohio State coming into that game and obviously they you know they blow it to Michigan but like that's still a really loaded team man and I don't know if you know if you kind of just kind of match up the the college football playoff rankings and, and projections and everything like that you know if if TCU loses really badly against Kansas State in the Big 12 championship well okay they still went undefeated during the regular season I think they might be able to get in but USC yeah, they're a great team. Caleb Williams is probably going to win the Heisman, right? But if they lose to Utah, who they've already lost to, they'll be a two-loss team. Are you really going to be able to let in a two-loss USC team who has basically lost both their games to the same team in Utah, who I think, you know, they're 9-3. and three. They're not terrible, but they're not like the class of the conference by any means. And in that case, you're looking at USC versus Ohio State. And yeah, I mean, Ohio State doesn't even compete in their conference championship, but they only have one loss and they have statistically done a lot more and a lot better in their games than USC has. They've also played better competition. I mean, Hayden mentioned it too. Ohio State played Notre Dame and they beat them, right? USC played Notre Dame and they beat them as well, but it wasn't as dominant. And it was kind of at the end of the season when Notre Dame was, you know, whatever. So I think that, you know, you're going to have to be kind of, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to decide who deserves to make it over who, depending on all these losses and stuff. But I think that's the most interesting part of it to me, right? Is kind of just, looking at the scenarios, what can happen, what can't, can't happen, and then who's going to make it because of that. But I think that just based on the losses of, obviously, Tennessee last week losing to South Carolina, that was huge, okay? And then LSU losing to Texas A&M this past weekend, as well as Clemson losing to South Carolina. Interesting enough, South Carolina, basically. South Carolina, actually, now that we come away from this, is the complete spoiler of everyone's college football playoff hopes and dreams. Yeah, because they literally, like, Tennessee was bona fide to get in. Like, 100% would have gotten in because their only loss was to Georgia, who's the 
best team in the country. And then pretty much the same for, for Clemson, who, you know, their only loss is to Notre Dame, who's a top 15 team in the country. They win the ACC. But no, South Carolina denied both of them. And so now, you know, they've completely played spoiler to all of it. So it's, it's just ironic there that happened. But I think that the story coming away from this is that both LSU and Clemson lose. And then obviously TC or Tennessee lost last week. That really only leaves you one kind of wild card team that is not going to be a conference champion that may have an argument to get in. And I think it's Ohio State. So if I'm missing something, Hayden, just, you know, kind of go ahead, give your thoughts, you know, whatever you think. But that's really what it comes down to, to me, is like we could actually see multiple of these team of these top four teams. We could see multiple teams lose their conference championship, but still get in simply because there's not really another great team to kind of supplement that and and really kind of, you know, push someone else out. Yeah, the, the, the last thing that I would mention, and this might not even really be a thing, but it's point differential in the conference championship. So I was talking about this with one of my friends today, and I was and I was saying, okay, what if TCU and Ohio and USC both win their conference championships? But say TCU beats Kansas State by four, okay? And they still cover the spread, but whatever. They beat them by four. Say USC beats Utah by like 21. Is USC then going to be number three? Like, do we think that yeah, USC is going to jump good point. jump ahead TCU? Because then, like I said, you've got USC playing a Michigan team that I think that I think USC is probably a better a better matchup against any like is, is has a better chance of taking down one of the big dogs than than TCU does. I think that USC like automatically, like Matt said, they have most likely the, the Heisman winner in Caleb Williams, and. They have Jordan Addison, one of the, you know, one of the most decorated wide receivers in college football. Like their school is basically an NIL school at this point. I mean, they've got Lincoln Riley as their coach, one of the best coaches in all of college football. So like, I think that, yes, if if they're going up against a big opponent, they have a better chance of beating them than TCU does. So I, I actually do think that USC should be number three in this college football playoff to make it the most interesting as possible. Because then you'll have Georgia against TCU and like Georgia will probably crush TCU in the first round. And then you'll have an interesting Michigan USC game, which if USC wins that, then they could also go on to beat Georgia. I I think in, in my personal opinion, I don't think I've said this yet, but I was talking, like I said, I was talking earlier today with my friends about it. I think that out of anybody in playoff contention right now, if anybody has a chance of beating Georgia, I think it's USC. And I, I think that's the only team that can really beat Georgia. I don't think that any other team can go out there, especially I think the um, what's it? The the Peach Bowl is, is like the first game of the college football playoff. And that's going to be played in Atlanta, which is in Georgia. And Georgia's going to be playing in that. And it's like that's going to be a home game for Georgia. So it's like somebody needs to go out there at, and, you know, somebody with crazy potential like USC, they need to go out there and, and take down Georgia. I think that it's probably the best. I don't know. It's, it's best case scenario either way if USC gets in. But I, th- I think that if you put if you put somebody at the three because they have just a better resume overall, it, it, I think it should be USC over TCU. But that's just my opinion. All right. So that was some that was some great stuff right there. I think that you are covered on your college football playoff yes. needs uh, now. That, and obviously, we'll see the rankings on tomorrow technically on tuesday you know whenever you're listening to this uh and, and it won't be that surprising but i think it just it really will depend on what happens in the college football championship games this coming saturday which i think that's a it's gonna be a, another great weekend of college football so uh so get excited about that but a lot of other stuff happened uh kind of off the field here with coaching uh situations all over college football first 
and and it kind of it transpired. It was so funny. I was we were going to talk about this. The whole Lane Kiffin is he going to go to Auburn? Is he going to stay at Ole Miss? Who's who's Auburn going to hire? All this was going down, and I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen here. And I even told Hayden beforehand, I'm like, I have the perfect topic for this thing. And then, of course, the news drops like two hours before we're going to drop, you know, do record the podcast that uh, Auburn hires Hugh Freeze, who is the current, well, current, but also going to be former coach, head coach of Liberty. uh, And then obviously, Lane Kiffin as a result, is not going to be the culture of Auburn. He's going to stay at Ole Miss. So I'm just going to break this down, give the backstory. We're going to be all good to go here, all set once I kind of get through everything here. In terms of what was happening between all these schools, all these coaches, and and what was going on in, you know behind the scenes, whatever. So the first step in this equation really goes back all the way to, I think, Almost almost a couple months ago, I think. Well, obviously, okay. Well, a couple months ago, Auburn fired their head coach. We knew that he they were Brian Harson was going to get fired at Auburn, you know, pretty much before the season even started. And we actually did kind of a special on that earlier in the year. I think about a couple, couple, couple probably a couple of months ago there, Hayden. I think when we talked about Brian Harson, yeah. he got fired. But there was the whole basically everyone in the organization, everyone in the, in the school, basically wanted him fired even before, before the season started. Mm-hmm. So long to uh, to Brian Harson, but he's making a cool I think twenty something million dollars in a buyout. So good for him. Then it became. Hugh Freeze, who again was coaching Liberty at the time, signed an extension. Now you're saying, you're saying, what the heck? He just signed an extension, but he left because now he's going to be the coach of Auburn. Well, here's what the here's what goes on behind the scenes that is a little bit fishy with all these other organizations, these big programs. What will happen is if a smaller school knows that their coach is going is is really good and going to be hired somewhere else or or has a good inkling that he might be hired somewhere else what they'll do is they'll sign him to an extension okay which essentially earns him more money under their contract and what happens is the the school that hires that coach which is is usually a bigger school with more money that school has to pay the buyout of the coach who they hired or essentially took from the smaller school, okay? So if the smaller school was to pay out the rest of the contract, they would have to pay from their own pockets. They would have to pay that coach because they signed the contract with that coach. But if the other bigger school takes that coach and fire or hires the coach away from the smaller school, the bigger school is responsible for paying that buyout of the coach that they hired. So essentially they're going to be paying the buyout of the contract clause they signed with the smaller school, as well as paying that same coach a salary on top of that for whatever they agree to in their contract negotiations when they hire them. So the point here is that Liberty, knowing that something was going to happen, because Hugh Freeze is actually a really good coach, and I'll get into that in a little bit here. They knew that Hugh Freeze was going to be hired, whether it be... Lane Kiffin goes to Auburn from Ole Miss and then Ole Miss wants to hire Hugh Freeze, which he actually did coach there before. Whatever was going to happen, they they had a good feeling that they'd probably be losing Hugh Freeze in this mess. But what they did was they hired Hugh Freeze to an extension such that when he did get hired by a bigger school, that school would be responsible for paying the rest of his contract. And Liberty wouldn't have to pay out of their own pockets, which is a big deal for a smaller school like Liberty, who can now use that money to go recruit. They can now use that money to go get another coach, whatever they want to do, right? But they're not responsible for all the millions of dollars that they essentially now owe Hugh Freeze. Whatever school hires Hugh Freeze, now they're responsible for paying for it. So that's what Auburn now has. But obviously, Auburn has a ton of money, more most money, more money than most of the schools in the entire country. So that's that's kind of the situation here and the backstory of why 
Hugh Freeze was actually extended, but then basically stolen. And so now he's, okay, he's the coach of Auburn. So Hugh, who is Hugh Freeze? All right. So Hugh Freeze is actually the coach of Ole Miss, I think like six or seven years ago, seven, maybe, maybe even longer than that, when they kind of had their first real good run at being a top team in America. It was actually during the first year of the college football playoff rankings. I think Ole Miss was up there at like number two, right? And they had a really good team and Hugh Freeze was their coach. Well, what happened? Well, you know, as such with any SEC school that kind of comes out of nowhere, it's usually because they were breaking the law somehow. And that's exactly what Hugh Freeze was doing. Okay. So he was essentially lying to a lot of the parents of recruits and, and, and also other people within the organization saying they had more money than they did or whatever they were doing. He was also paying kids behind the closed doors, which every school was doing this before NIL. Okay. I can't say this enough. Every school, especially in the SEC, all schools were paying for players before this NIL thing, but regardless, it got, it got, it went public. Okay. And so Hugh Freeze was now breaking all these NCAA rules. And so he basically had to get that, get the heck out of there. Ole Miss basically fired him for that. He wasn't really doing much for a couple of years. And then Liberty hires Hugh Freeze. Uh, and then I think either during his time at Liberty or like before he got there or whatever, he had like a, you know, a sexual assault case against like a collegiate undergrad woman. And it was like a huge thing. And, but Liberty was like, you know, classic Liberty. <laughs> we don't care about any of that allegations or whatever, however much he was breaking the rules when he was at Ole Miss. Well, let's hire him to be our football coach because we want to win football games. And guess what they did? They won football games because the irony of it is Hugh Freeze is not a really good guy. Like his personality kind of sucks and, and his meaning and whatever he wants to do in his free time. Like, that's all kind of bad, but the guy can coach a football team and he can win games. We saw this happen at Liberty. They were a nothing program, extremely small. They were in Lynchburg, Virginia. And here they come in the independent, basically he turned the entire program around. I mean, he got Malik Willis drafted in the third round. That never happens for a Liberty program, which is now on the map as far as, you know, college football premises go. So, this is this is this guy. This is who Hugh Freeze is. And so essentially what Auburn is saying by hiring Hugh Freeze in this instance is that we don't care. We don't care about the allegations. We don't care that this guy kind of sucks. We don't care that he's done all this bad stuff in the past. The guy can win football games. And at this point in the SEC where everybody else is getting really good, you got Ole Miss now, obviously under Lane Kiffin is doing really good. Tennessee under uh, Josh Heupel, the second best team in the SEC this year. The SEC is getting really good. And Auburn, a team that previously was the top notch SEC program, one of the big dogs, they were always competing with Alabama for basically the SEC championship every year, has now gotten left in the dust. They were five and seven this year. Okay, so Auburn, and again, like I said, they're a huge program, tons of money behind the school. They need to win. They need to win now. And they know that Hugh Freeze is going to be the guy to be able to do it. He can recruit well. He knows the paying the player thing, even though he was doing it illegally before. And he knows how to coach a football team, which I think is exactly what Auburn needs. So I'm going to kind of leave my personal thoughts out of this. Well, personal thoughts on Hugh Freeze's personal situations. I'm going to leave that out of this. But as a football coach and a football move, I think this was a great, a great hire for Auburn. So now the question becomes, well, what happened to the Lane Kiffin stuff? Because everybody thought, well, okay, the Auburn job is open. Auburn is a better job than Ole Miss because of the money, because of the history, everything, okay, behind this behind this program. So everybody's thinking, okay, well, Lane Kiffin's going to go to Auburn because he had so much so much success at Ole Miss, and he was at Alabama previously. He's you know he knows the SEC. He does really well in it. So he's going to go to Auburn, right? Well, no, and we actually even talked about that on the podcast. Hayden even suggested it before a lot of the people even started talking about him is like, okay, he might actually go be going to Auburn. So props to Hayden for, for a good prediction there. Yeah. 
What's the reason that Lane Kiffin did not go to Auburn, though? There's a lot of, well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that a lot of the big, I think a big chunk of it is literally he just likes being at Ole Miss. He's like a god there because of how much he's transformed this program and how good they are compared to really the middling success that they've had to lack thereof in the past years. Okay. So he's brought a lot of success to an, to a program that previously didn't really have much. And now he's here and he's doing well and he's got it under control. He did great in the transfer portal. He's recruiting well. So he's got his kind of, he's got a kind of a thing there going at Ole Miss. And he doesn't really want to leave that. I totally understand. It's a lot. You're in a fishbowl when you're in Auburn, all the boosters, all the fans. It's a, it's, it's Ole Miss times a hundred. So did Lane Kiffin really want to step into that? Eh, probably not, especially after all the success and all the, you know, the, the respect that he's garnered being at Ole Miss and doing so, so successful at Ole Miss. What does Lane Kiffin want, though? I think he wants Bama. And I don't know when Nick Saban's going to retire or quit or be fired. I don't know when that's going to happen. It could be 10 years down the line because he basically is a robot at this point. But Lane Kiffin's a lot younger and has a lot more time to wait than both Hugh Freeze and Nick Saban. And so I think what's going to happen is Ole Miss is just going to continue, or Nick or Lane Kiffin is going to continue his success at Ole Miss. They might have a couple down years, but they're 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 usually going to be around nine or ten wins, which is never where this Ole Miss program was before. He's going to develop quarterbacks, as we already saw with Matt Corral this year with Jackson Dart. He's doing the same thing. He's going to get good recruits. He's going to have successful seasons in the hardest place to win, which is in the SEC West in college football and hey whenever this Bama thing happens it happens but he's willing to wait it out because I think he'd be a great candidate he was the offensive coordinator I think during the um during the Tua run when they when they won the championship that year and and I think he was the offensive coordinator for another championship too he's already been at Bama he knows the program he knows how it works and they really like him there because he brought success he's now bringing success at an Ole Miss program that has never seen it before so that's my big bold prediction. It got a little bit dampered because of the fact that Hugh Freeze was already hired at Auburn today. And that news broke right basically right before we started recording the podcast. But that's my that's my that's what happened here. I think that that's why that's the reason why Lane Kiffin had a bunch of high, he, everyone was saying he was going to go to Auburn. There was already stuff behind the scenes with Hugh Freeze as to why he was going to go somewhere bigger. And then Auburn just kind of seemed to work out for him. And he'll probably I think he will actually be really good there. Right. But Lane Kiffin to Auburn didn't work out because Hugh Freeze, Auburn already had their eyes set on a prize, and that was Hugh Freeze. And I think Lane Kiffin was like, all right, I'm just going to take a back seat on this one because I want to coach at Alabama. Yes, very good. Very good overview by Matt and very good backstory as well. I'm actually going to give a little bit of insight on Matt Rule, who got hired by the Nebraska Cornhuskers. If you guys remember Scott Frost, their former head coach, got fired. After, I think it was after like the second week of the season, he got fired. And this was another one that we kind of talked about and kind of joked about it a little bit because he was just like so incredibly bad for them. And e even though they've sold out every single home game since like 1967 or something like that, it's crazy. Nebraska, like football in Nebraska is, well, there are, that's all there is in Nebraska, first of all. So that makes sense why their home games have been sold out, even though they've kind of sucked recently. But, um, but they're, they're a huge football school. They're like, one of those legendary powerhouses back in the day that used to be super, super good. And now they're not really good anymore, but Matt rule. The question is like, Matt rule, is he going to be the guy that brings football back to Nebraska? I'm not, I'm not really going to answer that because again, I wasn't really alive when Nebraska was good or I wasn't really like maybe even if I was alive for kind of the, the ending part of it, I didn't follow college football like that when, you know, when they were good. So I don't really know the culture there. But I can tell you a little bit about Matt Rule. He so his two big coaching, well, I guess there's three big coaching tenures, and that was 
first to Temple, then he went to Baylor 2017 through 2019. And then he went to coach the Carolina Panthers in the NFL for ever since 2020, basically. And he kind of failed in the NFL. Like the, the NFL has just not really been good to him. I think he, he coached a little bit for the New York Giants as like an, like an assistant coach back in like 2012 or something like that. So I think it was, I think it was right before his, uh, right before his temple job, he was like an assistant with temple. And then he got a, he got bumped up to an assistant in the NFL. And then he, and then he moved back down to coach as the head coach for temple. So he came back to temple coach as a head coach there for like six years, made them into a really great program. I think by his third season, they went like 10 and two or something like that. And they were winning their conference championship by his fourth season, which was a great feat that they hadn't done in, I think 40 or so years. So, I mean, he, he really brought that temple program up and then Baylor 2017. So he, he started coaching. So he got hired in, uh, at the end of 2016. So his first season was 2017 season. They went one and 11 Baylor did. And then they, it was their first time missing a bowl game in at least a decade, I think something, something like that. And it was a really disappointing season, but he didn't get fired next season. He goes seven and six. They well, he went six and six and they won their bowl game. So seven and six and then the next season 2019 season he, he takes them 11 and one and it's like so you took them 111 in his first year then seven and six which is like the most middle record that you can have and then 11 and one after that it's it's like a it's i mean it, it's like three perfect tiers of just bad middle tier really good it's it, it was it's pretty incredible what he did for for the baylor bears and then that's why he got hired as the Panthers head coach, because he was so good at Baylor and he turned the turned around their program so fast. Now, do I think that Matt rules downfall at, at Carolina was his fault? I don't think it was at all. I don't know the name of their GM, but their GM has made some of the most questionable choices that we've ever, I mean, he's, he basically given away his whole team. He fired Matt rule and they traded Chris McCaffrey away. Their quarterback room is is probably the worst quarterback room across the whole league, even though they have three guys. They got P.J. Walker, who I think should be the starter. Sam Darnold, who actually looked kind of decent this past week. And then they've got Baker Mayfield, too. Baker Mayfield is probably the worst one out of the three of them. I, I don't know what happened with with Matt Rule at Carolina. Maybe he's just not really built for the NFL. Some coaches are like that. They're, they just thrive. It's, Nick Saban is, is a perfect example of a guy like that. He thrives in college, but in the NFL, he just can't really seem to do anything. Um, and so do I think that Matt Rule is going to have a lot of success at Nebraska? Yes, I really do. I mean, th- this is what he's been doing his basically his whole career. He's just been going to college schools and turning their program around almost immediately. It took him a little bit more time at Temple to do so. But I mean, at Baylor, within three seasons, he went 11 and one. So do I think that he's going to go – make the Cornhuskers go 11 and one within three years. Maybe. I don't know. I think that the Cornhuskers are probably at a a better spot than, than Baylor was when he went to Baylor than they were in his first year of coaching at Baylor. But yes, I I do think that this was a great hire for, for Nebraska. Matt, what do you think? I think it is too. I, you summed it up perfectly. We, you have to understand the magnitude of the successful jobs that Matt Rolla did in college to be able to even understand because what what most people are and Hayden did a good job pointing this out what most people are going to think is like dude what he sucked with the Panthers he's going to be bad at Nebraska yeah and it's like no think about what he did he went to Temple who Hayden said was like one in 11 every single year they were in the Mac 
before they were in the AAC, all right? This is a small school in the middle of Philadelphia. You're not finding great football players around there, okay? So what he did was he, well, he found the football players he could, and he coached them up to be really good football players because that means that, well, ergo, he's a really good college football coach, all right? And like Hayden said, they're going 10-2. and two. They're winning the AAC. They are a horrible football program. Look what happened after he left. They've already fired another coach since he left Temple. All right. And they went, I think three and they went three and nine this year. Like if Matt Rule is still there, they'd be like moving to the big 12 by now. Like they'd be winning their conference championship every year. So that was what he did at Temple. Now Baylor, which I think is even more impressive because you got to hear me out here. If you, if you don't know about the Art Bryles mess, then go look it up, all right? Art Bryles was the head coach of Baylor when, really, he turned around the program. He developed an offense in college football, which is different than the one that Chip Kelly did. It's still kind of the spread offense, but it's essentially just – if you look at the college football field compared to the NFL field, the hash marks in college football are extremely wide. They're much further apart. And so what Art Bryles did, he designed an offense. It's basically a cheat code in college football. You take advantage of the geometry of the field because if you're on the right hash mark, you're way closer to the sideline than you are in the NFL. So you're going to spread out the receivers, have them basically look standing on the sideline of the opposite hash mark. You spread the defense out because of that, and you basically you just get free yards. And it's an ama- it, it was a brilliant strategy. The problem is he was at Baylor. And he basically let an entire sexual assault scandal happen underneath him that involved like half the team. And it was, it was a horrible situation. He's now coaching in like Italy or something. And he's, he's an absolute dynasty in Italy, like wherever he's coaching at, because he's amazing. He's an amazing offensive mind. All right. So anyway, he gets fired. The AD gets fired. Everyone's out at Baylor. It's an absolute turmoil. Well, who are you going to hire? Well, you're going to hire the guy who absolutely got the most out of a, middle of nowhere Philadelphia school who can't actually win football games to cut through their conference championships. So right, Matt Rule and Hayden explained the success that he had at Baylor. So this is a guy who in college football has has turned around, absolutely turned around, like from 1-11 to 11-1 to conference champions, absolutely turned around programs that both times, both places that he took over were in horrible positions. Okay, so now obviously, right, he goes to the NFL and he didn't do that well. The NFL is so much different than college. He's a good coach. He coaches his players to be better than they were. Nebraska is a perfect position for Matt Rule because they're not going to get the five-star guys. They're not really even going to get a ton of four-star guys. What they are going to get is guys who are kind of just raw talent coming out of high school who he can coach up to be better players. He's not going to get the best recruits. He didn't get the best recruits at Temple, and he definitely didn't get the best recruits at Baylor. But what he did was he coached up his guys, and he's going to do that in Nebraska as well. So that's why this hire is so good, and that's why Matt Rule is going to have a lot of success, success, and he's going to prove all the people wrong who just think that he was a bad coach with the Carolina Panthers. And Hayden mentioned, too, he was a bad coach with the Carolina Panthers he didn't get anything like the, the, the GM did like Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield and PJ Walker. Good luck. Nobody's going to do well with that. Bill Belichick couldn't win, have a winning season with that, with that, you know, this roster. So I think this is a splash hire, a great hire for Nebraska. The next guy, and we're going to go quickly because I know we're, we're kind of going long in this college football segment, but college football is so exciting. So hopefully this is good for you guys who are listening that, that aren't into college football as much. Uh, Wisconsin. The other Big Ten school, which is a very big program that has a lot of money behind it, a lot of fans and everything, they fired their coach about halfway through the season, and they just hired Luke Fickle, who, if you don't know, is the Cincinnati head coach. And what do we know about Cincinnati? Well, 
uh, they've basically been the best group of five team in college football for the last, like, ever since Luke Fickle took over as their head coach. I think it was in 2016. Luke Fickle, before that, he was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State when they won the championship in 2014 or whatever it was. So he's been on, he's, he's won a national championship as a defensive coordinator. He got the first group of five team. Then again, you gotta, you gotta remember Cincinnati is in the, is in the AAC. Also Temple, Temple's there as well. But anyway, they're not in the power five. But he got Cincinnati to an undefeated record and the college football playoff last year. Yes, he lost badly, but so did Michigan, all right? Nobody was going to lose to Georgia and Bama last year, so or nobody's going to win against them. So he has broken this glass ceiling. He's He is the coach who did it, right? And it's probably not going to happen for a very long time again where we see a group of five team get into the college football playoff. It's not going to happen until the 12-team playoff will be expanded to the 12-team playoff. So Luke Fickle is an amazing coach, and similar to Matt Rule, doesn't get the best guy. I mean, he got nine players drafted from a Cincinnati team last year. Nine players drafted in the NFL draft. That's insane. But he took the guys who weren't the highest recruited guys, and he coached them up to be a really good players. And he has his team rolling. Even this year, the team like the team lost nine NFL prospects last year, and they're still nine and three this year. They're not going to play for the college for, for their conference championship, but like they should have been two and ten this year, and they're nine and three because of the coaching job that Luke Fickle did. Taking over a Wisconsin program, Wisconsin is basically Cincinnati of the Big Ten. Like Wisconsin is the exact same program. So I love this hire as well. I'm a little surprised that Luke Fickle left though, because there's been a lot of times where he's high, like he was he was in the he was interviewed for I think for the Michigan State job after Mike D'Antoni stepped down and he was going to go there and it, but then he didn't and he was like um you know Cincinnati's my home. He wanted to go uh, to to Ohio State when Ryan Day was kind of taking over for Urban Meyer when that switchover happened. He didn't go there either. He went to you know be the head coach of Cincinnati. So. There's been a lot of times where I think Luke Fickle has had the opportunity to go somewhere bigger, but just has been like, nope, I'm going to stay at, at Cincinnati. And I thought that he was going to. And that's why I'm very surprised that he even left Cincinnati to begin with to, to go to Wisconsin. Obviously, Wisconsin did a better job. It's a bigger conference. all this stuff. But I think that the move Cincinnati is moving to the Big 12 next year. OK, so that's a big deal. And I think something that he it. it if it didn't go well, he wouldn't, his coaching prowess wouldn't have been as high, right? He wouldn't have been a, a highly touted guy, you know, such a respected person. If you go to the Big 12 and you start trying to recruit in Texas and all those schools are already taking all those players up, it, it's going to be a little tough, right? So I think that this is kind of a perfect time to move somewhere bigger where if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But if it does work, it can be really, really good for a Wisconsin program that's used to being a winning institution hasn't seen much in the past couple of years, but I think uh, Luke Fickle can definitely bring them back there. Um, other coaching news, just kind of smaller stuff. David Shaw stepped down as the head coach of Stanford, which Stanford, Northwestern, UVA, Vanderbilt, all these teams that have high academic requirements are have no chance in the NIL era. No chance because the academic requirements of getting into the, they have like the players have to get into these schools. All right. And the schools that previously they were getting into that were such, you know, such high, high, like these guys are just going to take the money and go somewhere else. All right. Then in the world of NIL. So it's a good move by David Shaw because he's getting paid a lot of money and he's already made a lot of money. And he did coach Stanford to their winningest years in program history. He had guys like Christian McCaffrey come out of there. So he's done all he can do. And he's not, and he was, he's been very vocal about it. He's like, well, we don't have a chance. And 
you know, unless they step up the NIL or, or try to lower the academic standards, all these schools that, that are, you know, that are very highly recruited. Michigan is actually kind of the one I think that's kind of breaking the barrier because Michigan is a very, very tough school to get into and a very great public institution. And Jim Harbaugh is going to, you know, he's somehow kind of figuring out a way to do that. The other uh, coaching news comes out of the Pac-12 as well. Arizona State, they fired um, Herm Edwards earlier this year as, as he was not doing well after I think three or four years in his tenure there. They hired the current offensive coordinator of Oregon, this guy named Kenny Dillingham, who has just kind of come up the ranks as an offensive coach in, in college football. He is now at 32 years old, the youngest head coach in the Power Five. I think he'll be good at, at Arizona State. It'll probably take a while because he's never been a head coach before, but I think they're probably willing to wait, especially with USC and UCLA moving out of the Pac-12. They'll probably be able to, to have some success as well with him. So that's all your coaching news. Hopefully it was exciting. Hopefully you, hopefully you learned something and hopefully you are more excited that I was excited talking about it to you but let's more importantly let's move into the nfl hayden go ahead all right so yes this nfl segment is going to consist of two topics and so the first one is is it's pretty simple honestly it's just going over five games five different games that trend that transpired this past weekend um on sunday and we're going to go over which team it says more about which team that that win or loss says more about. And then our second topic is going to be about the NFC East in the playoffs. That's what you see in the title of this episode. So yes, let's uh, let's start off with this first topic and I'm going to, I'm going to relay this first one to Matt so that he can give his, his, his thoughts on this first game. But who does this game say more about the Browns win over the Buccaneers? Does it say more about the Browns? Or does it say more about the Buccaneers? I think it says more about the Buccaneers. And I mean, that's going to be, everyone's kind of going to say that because it's pretty clear. Um, The coaching situation there is just not going well. Todd Bowles obviously took over for Bruce Arians, who was the previous coach there. And the, the overwhelming, the notion going into this season was that Tom Brady did not get along with Bruce Arians, despite winning a Super Bowl, all right, in his first year in Tampa Bay. Apparently they didn't get along. They're both very fiery. They're obviously both offensively minded. And and so whatever, they didn't get along. And so, but, but Tom Brady did like Brian Leftwich, who was the offensive coordinator. So I think that Brian Leftwich was calling the plays, but Bruce Arians would kind of have an executive call on stuff and he would override stuff that Brian Leftwich was calling and Tom Brady wouldn't like that. Whatever the case was, Byron Lethlich is still the offensive coordinator there, but Todd Bowles is the, is the, is the head coach. Now, Bruce Arians, as I said, is an offensive-minded guy. Uh, Todd Bowles is a defensive. He was actually the defensive coordinator, and they promoted him to be the head coach. So now you have Todd Bowles as the, offensive, or as, as the head coach, who's the defensive guy, and calling, making executive decisions on the offensive end. And that really showed in this game. The biggest play was when the Buccaneers were up 17 to 10. There's like two minutes left in the game. They have a fourth and two on the Browns 37. Okay, so they could have kicked like a 52-yard field goal and won the game outright. No, no problems asked. What they did was they purposely took a delay of game and punted it to the Browns, who then, you know, obviously go on to score and, and, and then win in overtime, which is a crazy thing. But it's like... Those types of coaching decisions, you have Tom Brady as your quarterback. And we even see coming out of this game, Tom Brady, the the crazy stat for this is Tom Brady, when leading by seven points in the last two minutes of regulation in all of the games in his career, was he was 218 and 0 in that scenario. And now this was his first loss. So Something's going on there with the coaching and the Bucks. This definitely says more about the Bucks. It was credit to obviously 
you know, Jacoby, Jacoby Brissett for somehow winning that game and David and Jokey making a, a ridiculous catch uh, there on like fourth and 10, you know, from the 10 yard line or whatever. So yeah, it's more about the bucks for me. They're five and six. They should be winning a lot more games than this. Um, and I think that's probably the, the answer that most people are going to say, but just hopefully, you know, you kind of got some background info around what the coaching situation is there and why things might be going badly. Hayden, do you say the same or no? Yeah, I would say it definitely says more about the Buccaneers just for the reason that you said they, they just aren't that good, but they are leading the NFC South in the playoff race right now at five and six, which is so terrible. Like <laughs> that dude, the NFC South is, is so bad. They have two teams that are five and six. And then they have two teams that are four and seven and it, it's just, it's, it's extremely hard to watch, but I mean, yeah, like the Buccaneers are probably still make the playoffs if we're, I mean, they have the best chance to right now and they have a losing record, which is crazy to say, but moving on to the next one, it's going to be the Jaguars over the Ravens. The, the Jaguars beat the Ravens this past weekend, 28 to seven, which was a pretty surprising result that the end of that game was also crazy. That game it was it, it was weird because it looked like it was maybe going to go into overtime, sort of. But then there were a bunch of turnovers at the rent at the end of the game. There was uh, I think there was some kind of like fourth down that that the Ravens didn't. Or yeah, it was some it was some kind of like fourth down that the Ravens didn't make. And then the Jaguars ended up scoring it with I think it was uh, I don't know thirty seconds left or like twenty eight seconds left or something like that. And then uh, so it was twenty seven to. 26 and Doug Peterson being the gutsiest man in the NFL this weekend, he decided to go for it and put his trust in Trevor Lawrence, good old Trevor Lawrence in the backfield. And uh, Trevor Lawrence zipped it out to Zay Jones on the left side on a little out route. And they won. they ended up winning the game. They took chance. They could have just tied it up with that, with that extra point and made it 27, 27 and then taking their chances in overtime, but taking your chances in overtime against the Ravens team, that is still really good this year. They still have a great chance of being one of the best teams in the AFC going into the postseason, even though they lost this game to the Jaguars. I, I think that it says more about the Jaguars than it does about the Ravens. I think the Ravens are fine. They're, they're going to be fine. Matt may have a different answer here, but I know that he loves the Ravens and he had them. He was very high on them coming into the season, but I do think that it says more about the Jaguars just because Jaguars right now, I guess, I think they're four and seven after this game. And like, they're pretty, I mean, they're, I don't know. They're pretty good. And they've, they've surprised a lot of people this year. They won, I think like their first two games or something like that. And they, they had a pretty good uh, winning record to start off the season. They've been, they've struggled a lot recently, but this game against the Ravens kind of was a bounce back game for them. Gives them a lot of confidence getting that two point conversion to win it and to seal the game off at the end of the game. I think it's a great win for the Jaguars. It's just kind of unfortunate for the Ravens and the Ravens kind of just did what they usually do sometimes. And I've, I'll always say it about Lamar. He's a great court. He's, he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. I would love to have him on my team, but he does make some costly mistakes sometimes. And it's, it's not, it's just, it's just how it is with him. But again, that's kind of what you, what you risk with a guy like him who, who has so much upside and has so much talent running the ball. It's just, you kind of just run that risk of, of him making more mistakes than, than usual. But yeah, I think it's a great win for the Jags. I think so too. And I mean, as much, yeah, as much as I do love the Ravens and I literally said they would go to the Super Bowl about a couple months ago, I guess they could, they very well could. I, it's just, it's so confusing to figure out this team. They could be 10 and 0 or 11 and 0 right now. They could also be like two and nine. So just the, the, the variability with which they play their games and the, the, the close margins that it, that it takes 
is crazy. But the, like the overwhelming takeaway from this is that they just keep blowing leads, you know, and it's like they were up by nine points two different times. They were up by nine. They were up nine, nothing. And they were up 19 to 10 late in the third quarter. And it's like, if those are your situations, like you, you got to take advantage of that. They were up by 10 points against the giants over the season. They were up by 17 points at halftime against the bills and lost that game. So there's been so many blown leads by this Ravens team that it's almost like you can't trust this team to go to the super bowl. I mean, you can't even really trust them in like the first round of the playoffs. So as much as I do love the team, as much as their ceiling is so high, I think there's just something just happens. I I don't know if it's, I mean, obviously it's a common, I think it's a combination of the offense, you know, not performing as, as, as much as they should not holding the ball, not being able to run out the clock as well as the defense, just kind of, kind of letting go and and just kind of, you know, letting big plays happen against them. And I don't know, it's, it's just a bad combination all around. And yeah, I mean, Hayden seemed to be pretty optimistic. I, I don't know. I mean, I think the rest of their schedule is pretty easy. I think they have the Steelers twice and the, the Bears in there somewhere. So I think they'll end up making the playoffs and they'll probably win the division because they do have the tiebreaker over the Bengals right now. So, but I mean, the Bengals are looking really good too. So it's just, it's tough to feel like figure out this Ravens team. They'll probably still make the playoffs, but I don't, I don't see them going very far. And I think my, my opinion on them has definitely changed uh, in a negative way since all of this has kind of been happening recently. So the next game we want to talk about is the Panthers who got a win over the Broncos. It seems like an upset, but it really wasn't. I was sitting next to Hayden watching this game and I, and I looked at him, I'm like, guess what the spread was in this game. It was Broncos minus one. So all the bookmakers and the sports books in Las Vegas, they think they basically think that these teams are extremely evenly rated. And we saw that that was probably the right call. Right. And in fact, the Panthers probably should have been favored of the Broncos because as we keep seeing the Broncos just cannot put up points to save their lives. I also gave a stat to Hayden that basically said, well, and it now is kind of one less, but anyway, the, the point is before this game, if the Broncos had scored 18 points, at least 18 points in all of their games this season, they would be eight and one going, or yeah, eight and one going into this game. Obviously that doesn't count because if they scored 18 points, they still would have lost this game because they gave up 23 points to the Panthers of all teams, but the defense is so good and the offense is so bad. And that just only continues with this, with this game. So I would say as much as it, as much as it's like, been the story every single week it says more about the Broncos that just they continue to not be able to convert in these opportunities when they just should be beating these easy teams they're now three and seven not going to make the playoffs at all and now last in the division because the Raiders got a, a, a nice overtime win against the Seahawks so for all the hype coming into the season, I mean, people are talking about, well, how, do you cut Russell Wilson and take like a $40 million cap hit? Do you fire Nathaniel Hackett after just hiring him for, you know, basically six months? I don't, I don't know what the right decision is and I'm not even going to pretend like I do. Um, so it's, it's just bad. It's bad all around. So, but I think we, there could, the argument could be made that this could, this wind does say more about the Panthers, but I'd like to see what Aiden thinks about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know where you're going with that. Cause I, I do think that it makes, it makes more sense to say that the it says more about the Broncos just because like Matt said, I mean, this, I, I was talking to Matt yesterday too. And I mean, obviously we were watching this game together because he mentioned that he asked me what the spread was. And I didn't, I think I said, I think I said like Broncos minus three or something like that. Um, but yeah, Broncos minus one was crazy, but I, I, I was saying to him that I think that the Broncos at this point have the worst offense in the NFL. And I, and I truly believe that there are teams like the Texans, like the, like the Falcons who just, struggle to get offense going, like no matter what the Broncos, they, their offense is so, so bad. And it's crazy because it's maybe it's just because maybe I'm comparing it to how I see them 
being and how they how good they should be based on like just the talent that they have on that offense. They have Russell Wilson, Corwin Sutton, Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy's hurt right now, but they have so much talent on that offense, and it's just what what seems like so much talent, and it just can't get going. They traded Melvin Gordon away, or they they released Melvin Gordon. They waved him from from their team, so now Latavius Murray's the lead back there. Latavius Murray's a pretty good back. If you've ever like, he's kind of one of those guys that just kind of floats around to different teams and is usually the backup for for teams. I think he was the he was last the backup at uh at New Orleans or something like that. He's a pretty good running back, but I don't know if he's going to do that much as a starter. Um, and it's just, it's, I don't know. It's like this, <laughs> this offense is just really, really bad. And the crazy part is that they still have like seven more years of this whole Russell Wilson thing to, th- to figure out, which is pain for any Broncos fan. So I, I feel so sorry for you Broncos fans out there. Our next one here, our fourth game that we're going to talk about is the Raiders and the Seahawks. The Raiders, like Matt said, got a clutch overtime win against the Seahawks yesterday. I think this per- I personally, I think that this, this says more about the Raiders just because the Raiders, we, we haven't really known where they're at this whole season. They, they, they look good sometimes. And then other times they look really bad. Both Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs looked so good yesterday. And Derek Carr, I think Derek Carr threw three touchdowns. None of them were to, to, to Devonte Adams. I think this is like maybe his first game this whole season or one of very few where he hasn't thrown where one of his t- touchdowns hasn't been to Devontae Adams in a game. Basically, if he scores, Devontae Adams scores, but Devontae Adams only had like seven catches for 70 yards or something like that yesterday. So it was mostly Josh Jacobs on the ground and through the air, and then also Derek Carr spreading the rock around a little bit more. And it's great to see. I, I'm I'm kind of rooting for the Raiders. I've always been a, a pretty big Derek Carr fan. He just hasn't really been able to get it rolling recently at this season, but I mean, this is, this is the season that everybody was looking at him saying, okay, well, can you get it done? Finally, maybe towards the end of this, towards like the back third of this season, he's, he's, he's able to get it done. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they can do in the future, in the near future here going down this last stretch. But I think, yeah, talking about the Seahawks, like this doesn't say much about their team. Like we said, they're, they're always there for a fight. Like they're always going to match the other team in terms of the other team is scoring a lot of points. They're going to score a lot of points. They're always going to be there with the other team. It's just the Raiders were able to pull out a clutch win um, in overtime with that huge run by Josh Jacobs, who had an incredible day. And um, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's a great win for the Raiders. I think it says a lot more about them and them actually being able to win a close game like this. So I think, yeah, I, I think this is a great win for the Raiders. Yeah. It's interesting that, I mean, the Raiders have won two games in a row, both of them being walk-off touchdowns in overtime uh, the last two weeks against obviously the Broncos and the Seahawks respectively. I, I agree. I think the, the, the Raiders are are seemingly kind of back on track now, but it's just like they, they, they need, let's win a game in regulation. All right. Like let's, let's, you know, be better than the other team in 60 minutes of football and don't rely on a, you know, a kind of a fluke uh, wide open run for, for Josh Jacobs, obviously, as Hayden said, you know, the offense looks really in tune, uh, especially over these, you know, for these last two games on the Seahawks side of things. They've now lost two in a row. Obviously, they had a bye week last week, so their previous game that they that they played was a loss in Germany to the Buccaneers. That, I think, can be kind of, you know, that's kind of a toss-up. You know, you never really know. But giving up 40 points to the Raiders at home, you know, in a game where obviously they scored 34, I think the defense for the Seahawks kind of needs to step it up a little bit more and, and, and kind of help out the offense who, if they struggle, you know, step it up a little bit more. If their offense looks great, then just not allow the Raiders to score 40 points. Right. So Seahawks defense, I think, you know, we, we got to start looking at them, see if they can actually kind of, you know, turn things around here. 
pretty soon. Last game that we're going to talk about, what does the game or what does this say more about? Obviously, the Chargers win over the Cardinals on a last-second two-point conversion. Again, the, I think the Cardinals and the Broncos are very similar in the sense that, like, they, they just had so much hype coming into the season and just haven't done anything with it, like absolutely nothing. Um, and, and the offense for both teams just just is not working out. Uh, and, and so in a game that I think I think this says more about the Chargers, though, just because they were able to get a win on the road in a game where they were like they were favored, but. Like it's a very, very classic underdog spot where the Cardinals have lost a bunch of games in a row. Kyler Murray is coming back from injury. They finally have Hollywood Brown and DeAndre Hopkins, like the full force of the Cardinals coming back. This was supposed to be a win for the Cardinals at home and the Chargers just stole it from them. So I think it says more about the Chargers. The Chargers are the better team though, right? So you do expect the Chargers to win this game, but in the manner in which they did basically being down almost the entire game and coming back right at the last second and, and, and running a great two point conversion play to, to win it. Great win for the chargers. And then the Cardinals, it's just, I don't watch hard knocks, but the in-season hard knocks is going on with the Cardinals right now. And I would honestly, this would be the one that I would want to tune in for because it is probably just horrible to be in that locker room just week after week, loss after loss, not really knowing if there's going to be, you know, a bounce back in sight because it just isn't coming yet. So yeah, so those are my thoughts, Hayden. Uh, what what uh, what did this game or what team did this say game say more about? I agree. I think it's the Chargers as well. I think we went five for five here on on agreeing with each other, and that is yeah. Like Matt said, I think it's I think it it also says more about the Chargers because the Chargers are one of those teams that we could totally see losing this game to the Cardinals. Like we could totally see. The Cardinals just looking like an all-star team against the Chargers just because they're the Chargers. And whenever they're faced with like a pretty good opponent, they kind of just fold. And we've seen them in close games fold a lot as well. I think that it was it was a great win for them to to be able to to, to get this win in the close game, to win on the two-point conversion. Again, that's, you know, kind of like what the Jags did. It's a great gutsy call. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that for the Chargers in particular, this is a great win because – Right. This is this is totally a game that I can see them losing at like any point in the season. So um, so, yeah, really great win for the Chargers. Moving on to our next NFL topic here, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFC East. And that is because if the regular season were to end today, all four NFC again, I'm going to say this again, all four NFC East teams would make the playoffs. Now, this has happened only one other time in NFL history. It was back in like, I think, the 1998 to 1999 season. And there's actually a pretty good chance that this could be the case when we when we end the season here coming up in a little bit. So what kinds of things would have to happen in order to um, have all 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 the NFC East teams have a, a whole party in the playoffs? And is this also the best case scenario or would we rather see more variety from other divisions? Matt, give your thoughts. I'll take the first question. What would have to happen for all of them to make the playoffs? It would be for essentially the rest of the teams that are in the hunt in the NFC to kind of keep losing. And then the rest of the games that the NFC East has against each other to basically be split. Even I think an unthought of, or unlooked at an uninvestigated uh, kind of scenario here with the rest of the season. Yes. There's not that many weeks left in the regular season, but the NFC East plays itself or plays each other plays the teams in the division play each other a lot uh i think the giants in their seven remaining games or like a six remaining games i think they play four of them are against other nfc east opponents they still have both their games against the washington commanders 
I think they still have to play the Eagles and the um, and the Cowboys as well. The Cowboys and Eagles have to play again. I think the Commanders play the cat. Like it's there's there at least each of the teams. I think at least has two. Um, at least I think two other NFC East games remaining. So I think that's that's kind of the the the, the takeaway here, right? Is that all these teams are looking really good and they are good. I think especially, right. I mean, you know, the giants are kind of, kind of reeling now, but they had a good bunch of good wins. The commanders have won six out of the last seven games, which is, you know, great for them. But I think that they just haven't played each other enough for it to really kind of their records to kind of start falling. So I think that once they do start playing each other, teams are gonna, like one team's going to win, one team's going to lose. So it's going to kind of even out there. And I think obviously the Eagles and the Cowboys are the two best teams in the division. So I think that they're going to kind of win most of those games, and that'll, I think, put the Giants and the Commanders at more of a definitely on the wild card level, maybe even out of the playoffs. But, you know, I think, hey, it's still likely or it still is possible. But I think that's kind of the the, the thing that's going unnoticed here is the fact that all these teams still have to play each other a bunch more times. And so it's going to kind of get figured out, uh, probably not until the, like the last week of the season. But, I mean, who who else is going to take these playoff spots? Because it looks like nobody wants them. All right. I mean, they mentioned every team in the NFC South has a losing record. So one team's making it from that division. The NFC North, Packers, Bears, Lions, all going to have losing records. Only the Vikings are going to make it from the NFC North. So, you know, who else do you kind of, who else do you have? Like the NFC West is, is pretty good. Maybe the Seahawks get a wild card out of that. But so, yeah, so I think that, you know, kind of that's the situation that, that we got here. And, and at least for the rest of the season, all these games against each other, like that's going to have to kind of even out. You're going to have to have, you know, the commander's going to have to beat the Cowboys. The Giants are going to have to beat the Eagles. Like some of that's going to have to happen for kind of these teams to be keep, keeping an equal record in order for all of these teams, all four of them to, to make the playoffs. And at that point, it'll be an, an NFC East playoff party. Um, so I'll let Hayden kind of tack on the next question here. Is this the best case scenario where we'd rather see more variety of, you know, kind of NFC teams spread out across different divisions that make the playoffs? Yeah, well, real quick. I, I do think that the Seahawks, are really the only like real they're the only team other team that has a realistic chance of making the playoffs over these NFC East teams because the NFC East is so good this year um it's 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 actually really it's it's really cool to see and moving into the question that Matt just asked me I don't I mean I don't think that I want to see more variety I want to see the best teams play in the playoffs and I I hate saying it because if I said this like a year or two ago I probably would be looking at myself like dude what are you saying? But um, but like I wouldn't really mind seeing the Cowboys play the Redskins. I mean, the the Cowboys play the Commanders in the first in the first round of the playoffs. Like that that would not that wouldn't make me mad. That would be pretty cool. Um, obviously, you know, it, there are some having variety from other conferences is cool, and seeing teams that don't play each other during the regular season is cool. But also having a third matchup between a game between uh two teams, two divisional opponents in the playoffs is always cool to see. We had it with the Broncos. I mean, we had it with the Raiders and the and the Chargers last year and that was a great game i'm pretty i'm pretty sure that that game was like 45 45 and it ended on like a some some crazy last second field goal or something like that so yeah i i think that i think that uh having divisional opponents in the playoffs is actually pretty cool it's really cool that it's happening with the nfc east because the nfc east was one of the worst if not the worst division in football last year so it's it's really cool that we're having them thrive this year um i think that it's great that if there's one division that I want to see have all four teams in the playoffs, it's it's probably the NFC East. Matt, what do you think? I mean, yeah, I I agree. That's kind of why I teed you up for that question. It's it's it might take a little bit, it might take a little, some some wins and losses here and there, but 
yeah, I mean, all these teams are feisty. And, and I mean, seriously, like I would, yes, I would probably rather see the Seahawks in over say the giants or the commanders yeah. just because I think the Seahawks are, are more exciting team. They have more, they're better offense, better defense than, than either of those. But again, you know, anything can happen. Um, and, and so too, it'd be really kind of funny to see like all these teams play each other twice during the regular season. And then basically three out of the four of them are going to be playing each other again in the playoffs. Uh, and so it was kind of be a bloodbath of, of the NFC East and everything, but it's very possible. It's very possible. So I will say that. All right. Well, we are kind of running, running out of time here. So we are going to move on to a really quick holiday segment here, reviewing Thanksgiving weekend with um, I'm going to say one high, and one low. So let's move into the holiday segment. Yes, Matt, just go ahead and give one high and one low from this Thanksgiving weekend because I can't I can't end off this episode without having a little holiday cheer in here. So one high and one low from the whole Thanksgiving weekend. You had you had off on Friday from work and you had off on Thursday, obviously, too. So you had a little, little four-day weekend. What was the high and what was the low? That was the high having a four day weekend because, okay. and hear me out here. All right. There's a reason behind this. So I'm in, we obviously both of us live in Richmond, Virginia. I am now working in Richmond, Virginia last year at this time, I was working in Fairfax, which is about two and a half hours away from Richmond. And so basically the way it works is I started my job in like halfway through like July of, of 2021. And because it's retail banking, it's kind of like you're up to the mercy of whoever else requested off on those days. Cause there's, there has to be people there to open because we're open on Friday, black Friday. And we're also open on Saturday. So what happened was because I got there later on in the year, last year, I kind of got screwed with my vacation requests and everybody had off on the Friday and Saturday of Thanksgiving week. So what I had to do was Wednesday afternoon at like four o'clock, I had to drive home two and a half hours to Richmond. I spent thanks or I spent Wednesday night there and then Thanksgiving day there. And then at like four o'clock on Thanksgiving day, less than 24 hours after I had just driven two and a half hours, I had to drive two and a half hours back home or back to Fairfax work Friday and Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. And it was kind of just a bad situation. So this year I was in Richmond the entire time I worked here, I slept here and I got to request off on Friday and Saturday. So I had a four day weekend. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. So it was very fitting that I'm had the whole time off and it was a great holiday and I very much enjoyed it. So that was my high. My low was just an absolutely horrible beat in the bets this week. It was on Thanksgiving day. I had the Cowboys minus nine against the Giants. The Cowboys were losing most of the game, actually, well, most of the first half. I think they were down by six at halftime. They come back, they're, they're, they're doing amazing. They're up by 15 points, 28 to 13 with a minute left on the clock. And Brett Maher misses a 46 yard field goal that would have made it an 18 point game, regardless of whatever the, the Giants do in their situation to end the ball game. I still cover the spread and I win my bet, but no, Brett Maher misses the field goal. Giants go down and score with 10, 11 seconds left on the clock. Richie James gets a touchdown and then they pick the extra point and they lose by eight. I had the Cowboys minus nine. They win by eight. That's a losing bet for me because of Richie James scoring a touchdown from Daniel Jones with 13 seconds left on the clock on a Thanksgiving day, but it's fine. I had a really good weekend of betting after that. So it got a little bit better, but again, my low is going to be betting related, but my high is going to be, I got to have vacation time and spend it with my family on my favorite holiday. Can't, can't ask for much more than that. 
Yeah, I wonder if that if that bad beat was one of Scott Van Pelt's bad beats on like those midnight shows that he does. We're gonna see. I watch him every week, and we're gonna see. Um, I think he tapes them on Monday night, so it'll be out there tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I I guarantee you it will be, and Matt's gonna be crying watching that. I know, but uh, I'm I'm actually gonna do my low first because I always whenever I do highs and lows, which I don't know if that's a common occurrence for our listeners here, but it was um in in my experience as kind of like a child growing up ish. And so I always like to do low first because I like to end on a high note and positively. And so my low is basically yesterday, which yesterday was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And it was a Sunday after I've been off for a whole week, basically not having to worry about school or anything, kind of just focusing on, uh, on just relaxing and everything my low was just realizing all of the work that I had to do this week. And, and like I said, at the beginning of the, epi- at, at the beginning of the episode, like I have essays to do, but like, that is an understatement. I have presentations. I've got exams to worry about. One of them got canceled, which is nice, but, um, but I mean, otherwise, yeah, I just, I have a lot of work and it, it's, it always seems like it always seems so much more amplified after Thanksgiving break, because the way that Thanksgiving break falls in my college semester and the way that UVA does it is that basically like we have, we have a week and a half of classes after Thanksgiving break. So basically a week of classes because the last two classes, like the last half week of classes, is just like a wrap up in every class and you don't really learn anything new. So it's basically just a week of week more of classes, week more of content to learn and then final exam start and, or final papers or whatever, like final exam week slash 10 days starts and that's when you have a lot of time on your hands like yes you have to study a lot but you don't have to go to class and you're just sitting there doing final assignments and and studying for final exams yes that's that's fine and dandy but like having to go to class while having all this stuff to worry about because it's due like pretty much right after classes end. a lot of my stuff is due right after classes end. so it's uh yeah it it sucks having this much work to do but again it's just it's basically like i have to hunker down for two more weeks essentially and then I'll be done until mid-January. So that's uh, that's that's good news there. So that's the low is is just realizing how much work I had to do um, since I didn't do any work over Thanksgiving, which you're not really supposed to do anyway. And then my high was I, I mean I don't I don't even know my high was probably Thanksgiving Day just because like Thanksgiving Day is just always so great. It's it's like Matt said. I mean it's his favorite holiday. My favorite holiday is still is still Christmas. I think my favorite holiday really is is the season leading up to Christmas. I always say that I, I like that better. So I I would consider like all of December basically a holiday. But um but yeah I would say that Thanksgiving Day is probably like the second best day of the year, essentially behind Christmas Day. But uh it was a good weekend, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. I hope you guys had a nice time with family, everything like that, and. Yes, that'll end off this episode. Went a little bit over time. We've probably hit like almost an hour 20 here, hour 15 at least. So uh, really good episode. We had, I think our college football segment today was probably one of the best segments we've ever had in first on rundown history, which is, which uh, that that's, that's a pretty big feat considering. I agree. I definitely agree. Yeah. Considering we've had like probably almost a hundred episodes total between all of our seasons, which is crazy to say, but um. But yeah, I think this is episode 20, episode 20 of season three. So we're already getting into the thick of things. And um, yeah, we're just getting started here with season three. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and you guys take care throughout the rest of the week. We'll probably see you back on Thursday or Friday. One of those days with with another episode, kind of more of a free, freelance episode before this 
college football weekend, which is going to be crazy conference championships. So get hyped for that. And yes, we'll see you then. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll catch you guys next time.